Hello and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bellotti, and I'm excited to have like a three-time, four-time guest at this point, Guillaume Cabane. Guillaume, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt. How's it going? It's going great. It's uh, good to be on the, on the show once again. Yeah, I am so excited to have you. For those of you that don't know, uh, Guillaume is a master wizard of growth. Uh, one of the top people in the world. He's currently co-founder and general partner of Hyper Growth Partners, which is a growth advisory firm. I'm sure that you might have a better way to describe it. Um, and G, well, I'm just going to call him G throughout this. He's, here at Drift. Uh, he's an advisor, growth advisor to Ramp, Capchase. He's a Sequoia Scout, an angel investor. He's the VP of growth at a whole bunch of places, including Drift, Segment, Gorgeous, and others. Uh, he is uh, one of the best people in the world at taking B2B companies from a few dozen uh, million in ARR to a few hundred. Same thing with like people, right? Building scalable systems from scratch. Uh, and he switched over to advising full time. And today I am really excited to have G on because I want to zoom way out on growth. So this episode is not like a super tactical one, but more about like growth as a whole. So we're going to talk through a little bit of where growth has come from, where it is today, and where G sees it moving in the future. So the things that we expect out of growth in the next five to 10 years, things to look out for, trends that'll die that are happening today and all that. G, that was a long intro. Is there anything uh-huh. you want to fill in about yourself before we jump in? Yeah, for those who don't know what they're getting into, I just want to preface. Um, I used to be Matt's manager. So... <laughs> There is some context here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the gap you want to fill in. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I think the, my, my biggest claim to success is to be able to work with people like Matt and, you know, find them where they were in product. And Matt's come a long, long way. And I think my, my, if I want to you know, lay rest to one thing is like I've been able to help people uh, step foot into growth, uh, many of them and help them and train them and become amazing growth people. And, and Matt is definitely like you're like probably like one of the best people I've been able to work with and like one of the best PMs. And I want to do that again and again and again. That is for me, more, growing people for me has been more important than growing businesses. That is amazing. I super appreciate that. And this podcast would not be a thing if, G you had not joined Drift. So I am very appreciative. Um, all right, so let's let's jump into the topic. Uh, you've been doing growth for almost ten years now. When you first got into it, what was the definition of growth like? What did the world of growth look like? Yeah, it, it didn't. It it wasn't a thing. Like most people who have like that much experience were doing things similar to growth without knowing it was called growth. Uh, that that's the reality. Like if you look at people like myself, like I, I used to be a, a, you know, an entrepreneur co-founder. I, I managed product teams and engineers. Um, and, and I think like the, the tools, marketing tools became more and more technical. Um, things like, for example, segments, where I used to work before Drift, um, required engineering support. It required uh, selling uh, to the product team, engineering team, why a marketer would want that and why, is, why are they involved? Right, and so raising the technical bar, the technical knowledge of, you know, marketers like myself, enabled us to um, think more and more in terms of uh, two things. One is the value of engineering uh, in marketing. It's number one. 
And because we were, we were not getting the resources, that's to be frank, uh, the next thing happened. We started cutting corners, uh, whether that's low code, no code, or whether that is like, uh, uh, say, lowering the, uh, the effort required to get the answer we wanted. That is the start of growth, if you ask me. All of the experimentation that happened, all of the, uh, the, the framework of hypothesis and effort and all of those things happened because we didn't have the resources. Because people would say, Gee, okay, I'll give you an engineer for three days, do what you can. I was like, oh, scratch my head, like three days. Uh, let's make the most of that. Okay. And so, Britney's beforehand, I had used a Zapier, whatever you want to like, that's uh, a de-risk what I was going to um, have that engineer do. That is it. Eventually now, it's different, but I think that's, uh, that's how it started, if you ask me. And outside of tooling and like technical resourcing happening, I think that there's this perception that like growth became a thing because a lot of investors saw a couple growth stories at, you know, a few other big rocket ships and then started pressuring their companies to say, like, do this growth thing, like do the thing that I saw them do. How much do you think that that has played into like growth being a thing today? Yeah, I think that's interesting, but it's probably a bit more recent. Uh, if you think of all of the PLG wave we're in, PLG is, you know, what does it mean? It means free acquisition. Okay. Why do we want free acquisition? Because the costs have gone up and we can cover a bit of that. And you can trace that back to like, you know, the stories of the Airbnb and, and, and Dropbox finding, say, their own like free acquisition strategies, you know, growth, you know, there's, if you go back, back, back enough, it's like growth hacking. All right. And so I, in those two cases, it's finding some, either a, a viral loop uh, or a content generation, which, you know, Airbnb is great, but the could have gone another way, right? And that was for SEO purposes. And so it's in both cases, they try to find a competitive moat uh, to kickstart uh, the engine and, and have that, um, that, let's say, lead gen machine. Um, seeing that, investors, I think they tried pushing for some of that, but they, it didn't really take off back then because there was no transformational change in the industry. Um, it is different now. Right, the investor said, "Hey, we we want you to be doing growth, but like nothing changed in the industry. Like, ninety nine percent of the marketers I was meeting were doing like paid and SEO and and newsletters. Like, we just like we come from a, a dark like place. Huh? We come from a dark place. If you go back far enough, like marketers were doing like random blog posts for like uh, SEO points uh, newsletters, right, on Podit, and just paid on like Google. That was it. That was your job." So it was a grim, dark place. <laughs> and and those, like you, you know, you're saying is a grim, dark place. Do you think that those tactics have kind of faded out or are they still very relevant today? It's just now a small piece of the tool belt. Um, I think they've changed significantly. Some of them have. And some of the, and others have um, completely fallen out of fashion. Um, like a, well, I'll give you two examples. Like a, um, a newsletter uh, that you send like once a month to uh, your entire customer base, same newsletter. Like, I don't know who does that these days. All right, uh, that's a that's a bad idea. Um, a a welcome sequence where the emails are like one out of five. Like, hey, welcome to Drift. One out of five, and then two days later, like two out of five. Right? Like, yeah, we don't do that anymore. 
Uh, well, then why, we, why are those a bad idea? Why don't people do them anymore? Um, okay, that's because the um, the users' uh, expectations have changed. Okay, as marketers, we are trying to create the best experience possible before the product, or sometimes when you work on activation and the product. Okay, and as uh, other companies find better ways to onboard, better ways to attract that are a better experience, users say, oh, that was delightful. That was really good. And then, and then you go back on, on, on the website, you, like, let's ask as possible the DMV. Then you're like, oh, that's tough, right? Um, and, and so that's, I think that's, that's, that's the truth. Like, you don't want to be the DMV, okay? And if you are the DMV, well, you should expect your uh, conversion rates to be bad. Okay, so do you want to be Gong, or do you want to be the DMV? Okay, you pick. And, and I think so. Uh, so the truth is, like all of us, like uh, exp we're also users. All marketers are users of other products, and so we immediately identify a great experience, and we copy it. And so the, the, this this entire like um, industry reacts and copies others. But just like an engineering product, like you see a great framework, you see like some. Or in design, you see some great designs of an app, and people copy it all, all the time. And that's what's going on. And so, so people are, are kind of like copying strategies, but it, it sort of also sounds like the strategies have shifted to be more like personalized to the sure. product or offering, and and less less like do this exact playbook, and more like take the playbook and make it work in our world. The 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 the, the tools have changed. To enable that, um, you know, if you look at the at the platforms, um, let's say, and, and you know, the, the reason why I'm so much at the center is because I was lucky to be part of a couple platforms that enabled that change. You know, whether that's a segment or, or drift, you know, I, I was at the epicenter of that change during those critical years. Um, you go back before segments, um, it was extremely difficult uh, to do those tactics. The, you, you had no good way of like syncing customer data across multiple different marketing platforms, right? Uh, and, and you had, you know, you couldn't have an audience of, you know, um, an audience of your users that was, you know, a, a good, nice, homogeneous group that you could uh, send ads to and then two days later send an email to. This is almost impossible. Right, uh, and without even talking with personalization, so the, the the technology has changed a lot, and that's where when you think of like uh, growth and uh, say the leaders versus the laggards in this market, um, I think the mistake that people make is to think, oh well, um, there's been that uh, shift, that technonic shift, and, and now uh, marketers do growth, and it's settled. They don't. It's 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 constant change. Like the technology is, is still changing and pretty much at the same rate. And if you stick to you know the segment and the customario and the drift and all of 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 today, um, two days from now you are the laggard. Your conversion rate drops, reversion to the mean. You've got to keep pushing the envelope. Be at the cutting edge all the time. Uh, and I think that that is you know what I want to believe defines me is I just truly enjoy technology 
products, B2B SaaS products and marketing platforms. I enjoy testing new ones. Uh, I'm the guy who's going to respond to like a random founder who's starting something that, you know, can do like a, a deep fake video to like, uh, you know, impersonate SDRs and say, hey, let's try it. All right. Um, does it work right now? Not really. But there's a trend. And I want to be I want to be sure I don't miss that trend. Yeah, I mean, that's how Drift found you in the first place. You showed up and you were like, I'm going to twist and contort your product to try to do this Absolutely. new tactic. Yeah, if I recall, uh, when I was at Segment, I was Drift's first um, enterprise customer. So the first large customer to like put the chat and like start things that no one was doing back then, which is like put you know personalized data in the in the chat and like control the chat based on like dynamic scoring on the homepage and all that stuff. And some of some of that has become standard now. It's market standard, like like saying like hey, welcome company name and like having some scoring change the chat. That is like it's standard, but like yeah, that was a first. That is how you create, I'd say, a competitive moat. That's how you compete and win. All right. So I think, I think this segue is uh, pretty well into my next question, which is let's talk about how like skill sets and skill set needs have changed and are, you know, certain skills are more or less important today. Like, how do you think the needs of what a growth practitioner uh, needs to have under their, you know, belt? What are those things today versus what were they before? Yeah, that, that's interesting. I think there's, there's a couple ways I could, I could answer that. I think one way is that they haven't changed that much uh, than a couple of years ago in the sense that it's more and more technological and it's uh, more and more um, cross-channel. And so a, a, the best marketers are able to see the bricks of technology and how they can assemble them and say, well, there's this new advertising platform, you know, whether that's metadata or something else. There's this new, you know, like um, maybe website experience you can create, uh, personalize, and then there's this new onboarding thing. And like, how do I connect all of those things? And what kind of experience can I create that would be like so much better, all right? And knowing what exists in each of those silos and uh, what are the functionalities, the, the, the features, and how you can uh, use the data from one to connect into the other, um, that, that is still true. And most people still don't do it, to be fair. Um, there are things that are happening that are different. Uh, and I think that uh, more and more, there are um, tools and platforms that automate what marketers used to do, what growth people used to do. So you think of all of the um, knob turning that you know people on my teams used to do on paid, for example. Like we were looking. I remember this. This you know, a couple of years ago, I had people who were looking at the results on paid from the prior, previous day. I said, oh, like you know, CAC has gone up, or this campaign like oh, oh, turned the knobs a little bit. Like let's adjust this down and the CPC a bit up, and like all those things. Like that's automated now. Like that's completely automated. Um, testing different messages for different audiences, like segmentation, like pff, all automated too. So more and more, the marketers are, I think, like moving down like two paths. One is like the, the technology path, um, which is like slowly becoming more like marketing ops, if you want, of some sorts. And the other one is the, the creative people who like uh, think of those experiences and create those experiences. Uh, don't stay in the middle. And when, you know, you're, you're talking about this a little bit, that it's like, 
some marketing ops, some, you know, creative type people. I think growth has continued to have like this semi-identity crisis of like, where does it it live in an org? How should it be structured? Like, how do you think it's evolved to what it is today? And then maybe we can start to like use that to talk about some of the future. Yeah, that I think is the failure of myself and all the people in growth is we have not been able to build this as a standard um, in the org chart of startups. That is a failure. Um, by and far, growth is a random team that sometimes sits in product, sometimes in marketing. There's rarely a VP that reports to the CEO. It like sometimes like moves from one place to the other. Um, and, and it's very hard to keep it um, as a group as a company grows. It's extremely hard. It overlaps too much on well-established teams. Um, and so, especially with high-growth companies, which is ironic, it's very hard uh, to keep that group. Um, however, it's, it's, it's super valuable to do so. Um, so it depends whether there's enough buy-in uh, from the founders to do it. Uh, but I think, honestly, that's, that's the failure of all of us uh, in, in growth. There's, there's not been enough standardization there. Think of like stuff like career ladders in engineering. Like, what are the career ladders in growth? Hell, I know. Yeah. Right. They look kind of different at every place. Sometimes it's just sort of like modeled off the marketing one, modeled off yep. the product one. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you another one. Should engineers sit on the growth team and should they report to the head of growth? As many answers as companies I've talked to. All right. I've got my own answer, but like it's no better than anyone else. Yeah. And how do you think that the identity of growth evolves over time? Because I think there's one there's one argument that is like growth is fundamentally a set of tactics that will just like bleed into all of the ways that these other roles operate. Or do you think that there is and should be a place for it as a standalone in the org? I think the, the way I've come to realize it myself, I think that growth is extremely valuable during the uh, teen years of a company, okay? It's not valuable at, 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 at the start. You know, the, you need to do the basics. You don't have product market fits. You don't have marketers. Uh, you should just go and test your channels, all right? That's the first thing. And, and then, you know, you have that initial growth cycle and, and then it kind of flattens out. Generally, you know, around the Series A, you reach a couple million in revenue and it sort of flattens out, okay? Growth becomes extremely valuable. It's still a small company. There's not so much silos. You can talk to everybody. There's enough money. You can have resources. And you need to build like a competitive moat. And that and growth can take you from like those, those couple million to like, you know, 50, 70 million in revenue. After that, I'm seeing it is very rare that growth teams. Uh, stay as growth teams. They tend to like silo off as growth uh, squads or, or pods within like product, within marketing, other things. Um, yeah, that's what I see. And I think that maybe is the truth, right? It's a way of working that is like high, high risk, high return, experimentation um, driven, uh, looking for outliers. If you do a good job, like you, you found your outliers like within a couple of years. Right. And then it would seem like the the cases where growth can and should exist as a standalone is going to be in very rare, like 
extremely high volume B2C type environments. There are examples like uh, think of somebody like Atlassian, like they have a super large product scope. They buy new products or they like they launch new products. And so like every time they launch a new product line, the growth team needs to test a, a thousand things, like how to onboard and how, and sure, they've got some truths, but they got the retest. So the experimentation framework is very valid because Atlassian is almost its own like VC if you want. All right. Uh, think of, you know, some companies that go international, like uh, I know growth teams that are tasked with like launching countries. Right. Um, but that, that is because you are like you have lots of funds and you're starting something uh, at, the, at the very early stage. So the same logic applies. And you think you think that's a bad thing for the function of growth or it just is purely like it is what it is. And everyone who operates in the growth world should know that their role is semi transient to like the stage of product. Yeah. I think it's a bad thing um, because it's it's hindering people from staying in growth and deploying that mindset uh, more widely. I think the fault uh, uh, relies on uh, senior growth people like myself, who, to be honest, like a lot of the people from the early days have like semi-retired, right? Which is not true of people in product or engineering or other things, right? Uh, it worked well for us. We found great companies. We had lots of great equity, and boom, we're out. And so that seniority hasn't stayed. Okay, look at, for example, our friends from Reforge. Look at all the people who are like, you know, the mentors of Reforge. Like, who still has a growth role in a, in a company? Like, less than a third. Um, and, and so, yeah, um, the function cannot exist without senior leaders wanting to, you know, take the helm and say, yes, I'll, I'll be like the, the chief growth officer. Right, and then just carry that forward and build it as like a course in larger companies. Yep. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. So let's let's talk about maybe some like growth type trends. Like today, product led growth is like the thing, right? Yeah. Um, back ten years ago, it was growth hacking, like coming up with you know A/B testing and whatnot. Like that was the prevailing thing. How do you think of the next 10 years? Like, what are the things that kind of fall off or maybe start to show up that people could start to think about, like, maybe getting head on? Yeah. And to give context, like, 10 years is a very long time. If you look back 10 years, we're talking of 2012. Uh, I don't think any of the tools we're using, save maybe for HubSpot, was around in, uh, in 2012. It didn't have no Drift, no Segment, no Clearbit, no Customer IO. Like, none of those tools existed. Okay, for one. Second, the growth function did not exist either. Uh, and, uh, and every marketer was, uh, you know, looking at inbound marketing as, as a new way to like, attract leads. So like 10 years from now, it's, it, it has to be like radically different. Unless change stops, which, you know, I don't believe, it's going to be very, very different. Um, well, that, this is a difficult exercise. Uh, I'd say it is likely that we have a combination of a lot more technology and a lot more AI eating things that we don't think can be automated. So uh, text generation, like high quality text generation is uh, becoming more and more a thing. Like there's multiple uh, well-funded startups that do that as a service. Uh, Contentfly is one of them, right? Um, it's a good example. The same is true for all, I'd say, um, 
marketing material, whether that's text, whether that's video, whether that's like images. If you saw the latest things from like our friends at OpenAI, uh, they have this uh, auto image generator where you just like uh, do a sentence of text and it generates the image you want uh, based on, on GPT-4. So like it's going to be a, a wild, a very different world. Um, and so it, it's very likely that what we have between now and the next 10 years is marketing platforms that uh, collect uh, user data, automatically segment, uh, user data into buckets, test messages, uh, copy uh, imagery, uh, videos, uh, and the responses, and then find winners and just create content. And so, to put it bluntly, like machines will be creating content automatically for humans to consume um, in B2B as in, in, in B2C. Um, and so, when you think about that, it's going to change marketing teams dramatically. Right now, marketing teams are mostly um, they, they produce marketing material. They produce strategies, tests, and marketing material. So my concern is not so much on, on growth, and we, we'll cover that. My concern is like, to my friends in traditional marketing teams, like that career path is reaching its end, right? Um, if your job is like, like you no know, split testing and like creating audiences and then testing messages, like, yeah, that's that's a risky path, I'd say. Uh, and most people don't realize that. Um, what uh, doesn't isn't no one's working on it, so it's not automated and by and far. It's all of the um, all of the infrastructure. So how do, what do you connect, what do you what do you implement, and how the, the data flows from one place to the other, and uh, and and I think then like um, things that are out of the norm. So like the high creativity of like things that are completely out of the norm uh, for now. But yeah, I think that I think that I think that's the change. I think marketing teams are slowly going to like dissipate. Right, and and A/B testing just happens on its own. You don't have to think it's about already, it. It's already dead, man. A/B yeah. testing is dead. Like, look at like Optimizely. Like, yeah. when have you heard of Optimizely lately? It's gone, man. It's yeah. it's gone. And and the reason is like A/B testing was started in a world where a a, a model for finding what works was random groups of population and finding the best average. And that's just gone. It's completely gone. Now we're like uh, doing super targeted segments and we're doing personalization tests down sometimes to the user, right? And we're not trying to find the best average. So that is like A-B testing is gone, gone. Okay, so let's say I'm a I'm a growth practitioner or a marketer listening to this. I'm like, all right, G is saying most of what I do today is going to be gone. Where like where can and should someone direct themselves if they want to like keep operating the world of growth and marketing? Is it yeah. what you're saying? Is it they should the they should just the creativity of like piecing the strategies together? Like, tell me about how people can think about that. It's going to take years. Before this becomes all this becomes commonplace, and so uh, you should be the person uh, pushing the envelope, testing those uh, approaches, testing those new technologies. And right now, it's it's a piecemeal approach. All of what I said exists in a piecemeal approach. There are platforms for auto text. There are platforms for auto uh, video. Uh, there are great platforms for personalization on your homepage. On all of those things exist. They they still uh, are completely disconnected. And you need to like test and validate each of those. Um, so I think that's 
that's the truth uh, uh, for now. Uh, long term, you still are tasked with, let's say, finding um, finding uh, the the unusual answer, finding things that your competitors have not. I'll give you one example. Um, that can always find a big win even in a very well-known uh, channel. When you and I were at Rift, we worked on this like Facebook acquisition uh, tactic. And back in 2018, like Facebook, you know, for for ads was already like a well-established platform. So like, there's no obvious win to be had. Like, you, you do ads or you don't. Right? Sure, you can optimize them, but still not like there's a 10x, right? And what we identified is that the Facebook platform was not uh, receiving. Um, it's not set up to receive B2B conversion data well. Um, because like those are offline conversions and the CRM can't sync back to Facebook properly and, and the match rate on business emails is low. And there's a host of things that mean that Facebook wasn't learning what was a good lead to drift or not. We identified that and we found a workaround by like faking an e-commerce uh, conversion from the homepage um, based on the company size and a couple of other heuristics, right? And, and a least going model, right? Uh, which brought us like significant lift. Um, that and for a very long time that's human thinking okay somebody has to find that flaw that brings us back to the initial days of like growth hacking you're looking for a flaw uh, you're looking for something that nobody has tried so, uh, a blocker something that saying this doesn't work it's like what could we do to make it work okay whether that's a technological flaw or that's a human flaw um i'll give you another example okay so you say like well okay machines are going to create text Sure, possible, already doable. Um, some of the best outbound campaigns uh, I have run are like um, faking the impression that this is done from a human, sent by a human, sometimes with like some fake forwards or some like like advanced, let's say, combination of events. Uh, because I'm a human, I can think like a human, and I can say, hey, this looks human, this feels human. And so one of the best ones, uh, I'll give you the example, is we have, we impersonate the CEO sending an email to their sales rep, and the sales rep forwards that email to the prospect saying, hey, I'm just doing my job. Uh, the boss asked me to reach out. Our response rates on these kind of emails is uh, multiple times higher than on others. Why? Because the, on the receiving end, it feels natural, and you feel bad for the poor human saying, well, boss asked me to send you an email, so like, I'm, I'm doing that. It feels, it does, nothing feels more human than that, all right? That, that like, boss-to-salesperson relationship is extremely human. Um, that is uh, a thinking that for now is reserved to us humans, I have to say. Right, finding ways to, to like, connect to the, oh, this must have been a person. Mm -hmm. thinking it through yeah mm -hmm. and the flaw the finding flaws in the system it's really it's it's like exploiting the opportunity that no one else has gotten yet because as soon as someone exploits it then everyone else tries to and then it starts to die off sure. as a challenge give you another example that's finding flaws that um cannot be automated um all of what we said is uh, about you know personalization and adding uh more personalized insights uh, into the communication, whether it's email or whatnot that you're sending to uh, you know, valuable companies' prospects. Most of the companies I talk to these days as an advisor come to me and say, well, what you say on keynotes, gee, is fantastic, but it, it doesn't apply to us. 
uh, we just can't have that data uh, because we are in fintech or whatever, right? And that, that data does not exist. We can't buy it. Okay. And I say, well, let's create it. Let's let's manually like, let's do what it takes because if no one has it, then it is very competitive. It is extremely competitive, right? And so, I, for example, I just work with a fintech company that need to um, that sells only to SaaS businesses, uh, and we need to know whether they are they have like a monthly subscription. And we we didn't find any data vendor that that told us that we have a SaaS flag, but it's not super reliable, and we don't know like what kind of subscriptions they actually have. Well, we built a scraper. The scraper goes to the pricing page and looks for the slash month or per month, right? And we scrape uh, hundreds of thousands of, of websites per month. Um, that has given us a competitive mode. Looking into what data is missing and say, well, that should be easy to scrape, right? That is a leveraging a flaw. A lot of things are like that. So if you look into like, well, what is G doing? G is always looking for those, um, those, let's say, those missed opportunities at what everyone overlooks and say, this is impossible. We don't have this. We can't do it. I'm like, well, what if we could? Do you think it's almost as simple as that of just like of making sure to challenge yourself and your team to say, what if we could? Like, or is there more to it? Or is it really just like use that as a starting point and then just hold on to it? That's my starting point. And then the framework is very um, experimental driven. We have lots of like a hypothesis approach. We are very like serious about how we think through it. Absolutely. We test it. We de-risk it. We try to go fast. We reduce costs. But most of the wins I've had over the past 10 years are just pushing something where the market had accepted that it was not possible, or just no, nobody thought about it. So people accepted a, a lower, worse version uh, of the experience. And when you think about the next, you know, five, 10 years, and people are listening to this, and they're practitioners, and they want to stay ahead of the curve, uh, what can you tell people to look out for, for to know that, like, this channel isn't going to work anymore or like this channel is dying or like this tactic is dying. Are there like very obvious signals to you hmm. that, that can tell someone like it's time to shift our strategy? Interesting. I think that, you know, ch channels strategies like come and go. So it's just like in, in you know, and SaaS is this great wave of bundling and unbundling. All right. And the same thing happens in, in marketing. All right. It's like everybody overuses a tactic. It dies off. And then somebody finds a way to restart it in a different way, and boom, it works again. Um, so I, I, I don't know that I have a good answer to like how to predict that something is, is not working anymore. I can say, I look at data on a company-per-company company basis when we try you know, 10, 15 different things in that channel and nothing works out. I'm like, well, you know, okay, let's move off to something else. Okay. Um, and, and when I look also like one way with like, I'd say most people don't have access to that. Like I, because I work with like many, many companies, I look at the distribution of conversion rates on different channels and different tactics. And I can slowly see them like slowly getting closer and closer and closer. And nobody, no one like pops out. I'm like, well, well, you know, it seems to be obvious that, you know, we've reached a consensus. Right. The, the best way to use a channel has been 
figured out enough copy paste mm-hmm. thing has happened that it just is what it is. As long as you hit that benchmark, you should yep. like set it there and then go on to the next thing. Absolutely. Cool. Well, gee, I, I feel like, I mean, we could keep going, but we got to wrap this at some point. Are there any any other things that you want to make sure that you kind of share or, or talk through before we call it a wrap here? Yeah, I think that the, um, the, the, the experimental approach, uh, hypothesis-driven approach, um, is valid not just in trying to find leads. I think it's important to realize that the best companies I work with have identified that and say, well, what if we apply that to other parts of our business? Okay. And I, for one, apply the same approach to my personal life. Okay. I have found that it is extremely valuable to be able to de-risk, lower the cost of finding out whether something uh, has merit or doesn't. Being able to think differently, go very wide and have uh, very uh, crazy approaches to solving like one's life problems. How do you hack the system? And then my every day, I have crazy ideas. And I'll leave you with one, which I've been tinkering for a couple of months. I've been thinking of a way to hack uh, airline uh, yield management systems, uh, because in this day and age with COVID, most airlines have uh, uh, free reimbursement, unlimited reimbursement over a couple of months. And so I've been thinking that maybe I could buy off uh, all the business seats on a Paris to New York flight drop them the day before the flight and buy off one back uh, because the yield management should react and should drop the prices, create the prices to like get people back on. Uh, so that's the kind of thinking they have. You know, There's lots of reasons why not to do it, but still, there's something in me that's like, this is an exciting idea. How will the yield management, management system react? <laughs> so that, that's how I think. Absolutely incredible. And that is what makes G one of the best growth people in the world, always thinking about this crazy stuff, looking for ways to make something work when there's just like a a small thing to leverage. Uh, It has been such a pleasure to learn from you, work with you. Uh, Thank you again for for teaching me so much, helping me get this podcast started back in the day. It has been uh, amazing to work with you, learn from you, hear from you. And thanks so much for being a guest again. Thanks for having you again, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. So uh, folks, thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, check out all the others. There's about 90 others with amazing experts. I think there's like three or four other ones with G. Uh, Those are fun episodes to check out as well. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Mapilotti. If you have any feedback, thoughts, anything like that, feel free to reach out to me there. Thank you so much for listening. I know there are so many things you could spend your time on listening to, working on, watching, consuming, whatever it is, and you're spending it here listening to the podcast, and I will be forever grateful. So thank you so much, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye.